This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. It's fine. It's like I'm with a bunch of kindergartners. Clap once. That's fantastic. Clap twice. Come on, friends. So good. So good to be here with you guys today. I just need to take a minute to look at you. I, I love you so much. You have no idea what an honor it is to be with you. I'm going to share today a little bit about where we've been as we become, we move out of our teen years and become 20-somethings as a church. We're about to hit our 20th anniversary as a church community. 20 years, that's amazing. And I'm going to share a little bit about today about where we've been and where we're going and I was overwhelmed with a sense that there's nowhere I'd rather be than right here. And there is no one I'd rather be doing this with than you guys. I'm going to do my best to make it through today without tearing up at all. But I'm telling you, I was sitting right there this morning as our worship team practiced and thinking about all the things God is doing right now, all the things God's been doing, the dreams that God has for us. And I, I started crying like four times. Four, I know. If you think that's lame, uh, you're wrong. That's super vulnerable. And uh, chicks dig it, right, Maria? Where's my wife? She's hiding already. And I said to the worship team, because they were practicing and doing their thing, and I said to them, friends, I know that you're thinking about the various ways to end a song and start a new song and transitions, and you have questions, I'm telling you. I'm just overcome with what God's doing. I'm tearing up down here. And Leslie, who was singing up here, said, is it because we're so bad? <laughs> and I said, no, it's because God is so good. And I love what God is doing. So get ready for today. It's going to be awesome. Hey, you're going to want to grab a few things. One is this Start Here card. This is your all-access pass to our pastoral team. It lets us care for you, serve you, pray for you, partner with you in any way that you would like. So go ahead and grab that. I'm going to ask us to uh, take some steps, and you're going to want to be taking some steps with me at the end of our time together today. You're also going to want these teaching notes. We'll be looking at these with our life groups. We'll be asking questions throughout the week. We'll be praying and processing some of that uh, as we continue our journey called Engage. And if you're brand new, if you're just checking out New Life, uh, I want you to know this is the perfect time to be here. Because we're talking about who we are going to be for the next 20 years of our church's story. The kind of community, the kind of people, the kind of individuals who love God and love each other in tangible, real ways. Who we're going to be. And I'm telling you, if you're brand new to church, I think this is going to excite you. And you're going to get a fresh vision for life and faith that I think is going to be appealing. So you just get to have a front row seat to where we're going Last week, we started this journey of Engage talking about a boy who would become king. He's a teenager when we find him in the story of the Old Testament of the Bible. His name is David, and he would eventually, in about 15 years from the place we found him, become the king of this nation called the Israelites, and he would be the most famous king that they ever had. But when we find him, he's a boy, 10 to 12 years old, asking all sorts of questions about himself and his place in the world and his story. And we talked this last week about a giant 
This guy named Goliath that David came up to fight against. And Goliath was huge, like nine feet tall. And David was, at this point, a teenager, probably about five feet tall, maybe a little less. And, and there was a reigning king, a guy named Saul. And Saul looked at Goliath and thought, Goliath is a giant obstacle to everything I believe I want to do. And David walked up and he looked at that same giant and he said, Goliath is a giant opportunity for everything God has been preparing me to do from my childhood. And we recognize the fact that whenever God brings giants into our lives, whether they're giant obstacles or giant opportunities, God always prepares us beforehand for the giants. With David, it was the fact that God, as David was a shepherd, God had used him to fight a bear and to fight a lion. God had prepared him for the battle he was about to fight, which would prepare him for the king he was going to be. And in our lives, we come up against giants. And there's questions about perspective. How do we understand this giant? Is this a, is this a giant obstacle that can't be overcome? Or is this a giant opportunity, a giant chance for God to do something great? Because I believe that what the world or, or what circumstances would say make giant obstacles, God would say, no, those are giant opportunities for me to move powerfully in you and through you. Amen. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Give it to me. I'm going to need some help today. And there are like 300 of you in here, so you better help me out. I want to talk to you about the giant opportunities God has been preparing us for. See, God is mobilizing our community in three key areas that will enable us to love more deeply than ever before, to serve fully, to meet the needs of people in our cities that we love, to cross over oceans and have ripple effects around the world. God is preparing us for giant opportunities. But in order to know where we're going, we have to remember where we've been. And so I want you to think back for a second to 1998. Where were you? What were you doing? What were you thinking about? Let me help jog your memory. The Billboard top charts had Celine Dion. Her heart was going on. (laughs) Casey and Jojo were rocking the charts. Come on. Shania Twain was there. On Wednesday nights, you'd find yourself watching Dawson's Creek because Pacey was the man. 90210 was on the way down, but Melrose Place was on the way up. I was 17 years old. I had never even heard of Petaluma, California, let alone thought that I would be here 20 years later. But at that same time that I was listening to Casey and JoJo, thinking about all my life, waiting for someone like Maria. Come on, Gus. My buddy Gus is in the sound booth. He's the only one who likes my hip-hop and R&B references, and I don't care. Maria, my wife said to me, Kevin, you can't just talk to Gus. There's a whole church of us out here. I said, I don't even care. Gus gets me. And you complete me. Yeah, that's right. Let me ask you a question. Where were you in 1998? Where were you physically around the country? Where were you emotionally? Where were you mentally? What kind of life stage were you in? 
Were you a tween? Were you a teen? Were you a 20-something? Were you in your 30s or 40s? Where were you 20 years ago? In 1998, almost 20 years ago, a small handful of people got together in a house and started dreaming about a church that would be different. They started dreaming about a church that would love so fully and so freely without walls or exception that it would be irresistible to people who would say that they were far from Jesus. And they had, they had never experienced a church like this. They had never created a church like this. They had never seen a church like this. And they were terrified because nobody was doing it. And you know what they did? They engaged with God in three key areas. They mobilized together. And they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray each day. We're going to pray like crazy for God to move. In our lives, in our little circle in this room, and in these communities that we love so deeply. So they prayed each day. They said, we're going we're gonna to know our go. We're going to figure out our unique place of service influence in these cities that we love so deeply, so that we get out into this city, not like a hostile takeover, but like a friendly invasion (laughs) of love and service and care. And they were educators and they were city officials and they were law enforcement and they were were blue collar and they were white collar and they were coming together. We're going to serve this city like never before. We're going to know our go. And they said, we're going to live our give. We're going to give generously and sacrificially for the dream of a different kind of church, a church that would reach deeply into Sonoma County and create safe places for people to come and engage with God. And over the next 10 years, there were days where they wondered if that dream was going to last because it felt very fragile sometimes. I became part of the community over those next 10 years. And there were days we wondered, are we actually going to make it to next week? We met in the Lucchese Center back in those days, and, and I remember walking into that place to set up, like at six in the morning, set up church every week, and we'd be walking through, and our feet would be sticking to the floor because there was a party in there the night before, and there was beer spilled everywhere, and it smelled of beer, and it, your feet stuck to the floor, and we thought, this is it. This is how we're going to reach our community. <laughs> I remember on Mondays and Tuesdays throughout that time, hearing from Lucchese Center, I'm sorry, you can't meet here this week. We have this event happening and scrambling to move church. We were like the most secret hidden church because you never knew where we were going to be. We had no signs. There was no Facebook. We couldn't get the message out. It was like, good luck. Here's a piece of paper on the door. We're meeting at the Boys and Girls Club. We're meeting at this school. We're going to have church in the park. Not because it's nice outside, because we have nowhere to meet. And for 10 years, we prayed each day. We served strategically, we knew our go, and we lived our give. And God built a foundation for what would be new life today. We're here because that small group of people. In 98, when I was watching Dawson's Creek and listening to Casey and Jojo, was dreaming about a church and a space for you and you and me to find our home And that handful of people over those next 10 years grew to about 300 of us. God just kept bringing people in. It didn't matter. We tried to hide so they couldn't find us and people just kept coming. And in 2008, 
as we were praying together, we sensed God inviting us to create a permanent space for us to engage with God, for us to serve and engage with our community, for us to reach people. We thought we want to create like a community center, not a church with a steeple, because listen, here's the church, here's the steeple, you open the doors, there were no people. So we didn't want a church with a steeple. Europe had tried that, it had not worked. We wanted a box, more of a rectangle really, soft yellow seemed like a good color at the time, to create a community center where people could come. Dance troops, the police department, they were, the whole police department was here yesterday, meeting and training. People with special needs could come and, and be resourced. We dreamed about a place that was used every day not just for church services, but for God's movement in the lives of people. But here's the thing. No church had done this in over 75 years in our city limits. No church had purchased property. That means that for an entire generation, this was a dream that no one had ever experienced. And we had no idea if it could be done. And we were terrified. So, Pastor Ron, who was our lead pastor at the time, without having language around it, he called our church to mobilize in three key ways. He said, I want us to pray each day for God to move. I want us to know our go. This is the time for our church to get mobilized in strategic service to influence our community. And I want us to live our give. I want us to give generously and sacrificially to create a space for people to come and experience Jesus. And we were scared out of our minds, but we were just crazy enough to trust God. And we prayed, and we served, and we gave. And God opened the door for us to move into this space. And since then, we have experienced unprecedented engagement with God. Do you know that since our church's founding, almost a thousand people have been baptized at New Life? A thousand people. Did you know that since we moved into this space, thousands of people have walked through these doors? Many of them for church services like this, but many others for things like the nomadic shelter, where we house homeless people in some of the coldest days of the year. Through things like dance recitals that happen here, things like schools. The schools my kids go to have had Christmas performances and spring performances here. The things like um, guide dogs for the blind coming in for training. For things like Easter seals caring for children who are at risk. We've seen this place filled with women and men from varying backgrounds, varying stories, varying faith traditions coming together. And because people in this church in 2008 dared to pray, to go, and to give, a space was created And in the process, wouldn't you know, God grew our church by another 200 people over the last 10 years. Now we're like five or 600 people gathering every single week. Close to a thousand of us gather on big days like Christmas Eve and Easter and my birthday. (laughs) And here's something. Here's how churches, in case you wonder, because I know you're like me, you nerd out about this kind of stuff. Here's how churches normally um, go in terms of a church trajectory for their lifetime. 
The first three years go like this. People coming in, people making decisions to follow Jesus, people getting baptized, people joining groups, people serving. And then we get a critical mass of people, 150 or so people, and we like the people we have here. And we think, I know everybody. There's 100 of us, 150 of us. We feel pretty good here. So then we just kind of hang out for a while with each other, loving each other, serving each other, caring for each other. Awesome stuff. But we forget about the thing that brought us in. And so we go from here to here. And then over the course of that time, because we aren't actually engaging our community the way that God designed the church to engage our community, we start to think, well, there's got to be more out there. And maybe that more needs to be found in a different church. And so people start to head out and find different places because they aren't engaged in praying and going and giving. And so the church starts to do this, and it slowly declines for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Until churches sit around in a small group and think, what happened? We had such a great start, but here we are. Now, let me tell you our church's story. In the last three years, year 17, 18, and 19, we've seen more people give their life to Jesus than any three-year period in the history of our church. That's amazing. But wait, there's more. In the last three years, not year one, two, and three, Year 17, 18, and 19, we've seen more people get baptized than any three-year period in our church's history. And I know. Yes, you should clap. In the last three years, we've seen more people engage in life groups. Those are these small group communities than any three-year period in our church's history. That's amazing. In the last three years, we've seen more people serving in the church than any three-year period in our church's history. And in the last three years, we've seen more people serving locally and globally than any three-year period in our church's history. That's amazing. It's amazing. On top of that, in the last three years, we've seen our church, more people in our church, give generously at higher levels than any three-year period in our church's history. Here's why that's so important. Because I know you were about to erupt into applause. Here's why that's so important. Because more people have engaged with God around generosity and given generously. Do you know that we've given more money out locally than any three-year period and given more money out globally than any three-year period and we've been able to serve you better than any three-year period in our church's history? That's worth celebrating. So I've shared this story probably 10 times in groups of varying sizes over the last six months. Couples, small groups, large groups. And I woke up this morning, and something about this story, it had become commonplace for me. Because I've been sharing it so much, because I'm in it. And I came in, and this is what brought me to tears, as I was sitting and worshiping God, and realized, this is not a common story. And I know what you're thinking. Because you're here, this feels normal. Of course we'd be a church that's reaching people who are far from Jesus, where people are getting baptized, where people are joining small groups, where people are serving locally and globally, where we are giving generously to the things closest to God's heart. Of course we do that. That's just normal. Can I tell you, that's not normal. That's nothing short of miraculous. It is the hand of God moving in our church in ways that are unbelievable. Listen, we're in the top 5% of churches in the country in terms of our size, our scope, 
our vision, the people we're serving, the amount of groups we have. We're in the top 5% of churches in the country. That includes the Bible Belt, okay? That's a big deal. Here's the thing. We live in Sonoma County. This morning, this morning, 3% of our community is engaging with God. Think about that for a second. In Sonoma County, where 3% of our community is engaging with God, we are doing more as a gathering than 95% of churches in the country. That is miraculous. Now, I want to share with you something that um, the prophet Isaiah spoke. And, And a prophet, if you're brand new to church, a prophet is someone in the Old Testament of the Bible who heard from God and spoke God's words to people. So he was kind of like the go-between. He or she would hear from God and speak God's words to the people. And the prophet Isaiah says something really interesting, and it's going to take a second, but we're going to connect some dots. And I think you're going to be, wow, intrigued by it. Here it is, Isaiah 43. God's people have been taken captive by a group called the Babylonians. So they're in captivity in Babylon. And this is what the Lord says in verse 16. He who made a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and he lay them there and they never rose again. He extinguished them and stuffed out their wick. Isaiah is giving a history lesson to the people. He's saying, do you remember when your ancestors were slaves in Egypt and God brought them to the Red Sea and they were like, oh my gosh, the Red Sea. And they looked back and there were chariots from the Egyptians chasing them down. They were going to get slaughtered at the sea's edge. And Moses came and he stuck his staff in the water and the water parted and the people walked across on dry ground. And then after that, the chariots came in. You remember this? This is when Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey started singing, There Will Be Miracles. Do you remember this? It's in the Bible. Right? And the chariots came in and the waters closed and the Egyptian army was never seen again. Now remember, Isaiah is talking to a group of people who have been taken captive again. This time not by the Egyptians, but by the Babylonians. And they're thinking to themselves right now, we need Moses. We need God to do now what God did then. Notice what Isaiah says to them next. Verse 18. Forget the former things. Huh? Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Why? The people asked. God says, because I am doing something new. And it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. What Isaiah is saying to the people is this. Allow God's faithfulness in our past to give us confidence that he will be faithful to us in our future. But let's not look back at the last 20 years and say, remember the good old days when people prayed and served and gave and God did miraculous things. He's saying, don't get stuck there. Allow God's faithfulness there to give you courage to allow God to write your story here. Because we do live in a community where 97%, just let that sink in, 97% of our community that we love, these are our neighbors, these are our friends, these are our kids' co-workers, these are our, their co-students, 
You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> These are our coworkers. 97% aren't walking with Jesus, aren't experiencing God the way that you and I get to here. And a lot of churches right now look at that number and they think that is a giant obstacle to their faith. So what churches tend to do is when they get in these moments where we realize, oh my gosh, the tide has swung. They think we need to huddle up, circle in, bunker down, love and serve and care for each other because the obstacles out there are too great. Can I just tell you something that I believe to my core? People are not an obstacle. People are an opportunity to love, to serve, to dream alongside, to share life with. There is not a them and an us. There are men and women and children created in the image of God, who God loves deeply, who God said 20 years ago, I'm going to create a church for the sake of our community. And I'm going to use you to love and serve and reach people. People are not an obstacle. People are an opportunity to love and serve. I love the way Jesus says it. Will you indulge me if I go a few minutes long today? Will you indulge me? You're good people. Thank you. Don't worry. You can DVR the game. Bears are going to win. I heard that. I love the way Jesus says it, okay? Jesus gathers his, his, his 12 closest followers and he says to them, did you know, did you know that people are trapped right now? People are trapped. They're trapped in things like addiction. They're trapped in things like unforgiveness. They're trapped in things like pain and abuse and systems of oppression. And he says, you know what they're trapped in? Jesus, he's talking to his followers. He says, they're trapped in gates. He calls them the gates of hell. They're trapped in the gates of hell, their own personal hell, where they don't see any hope, any joy, any way out, and any future. Here's the thing about gates. Gates don't move. Gates are stationary. They're dug into the ground to keep certain things out and keep other things in. And Jesus says the gates of hell are keeping people trapped in fear and anger and depression and anxiety and relational brokenness and vocational brokenness and systems of injustice and slavery and lack of clean drinking water and lack of moms and dads. And Jesus says, you know what those gates are going to do? They're going to stand there until someone comes and knocks them down. And then he looks at his followers he says, I want you to knock down some gates, to be the people courageous enough to remember the gates that trapped you, remember that someone knocked those gates down for you, and then to go out and knock down some gates. I want to talk about some gates that we're going to knock down in the next 20 years as a church. Can I do that? Because really what we're talking about now is not what we're going to do for the next two years. It's who we're going to be for the next 20 who we're going to be? What kind of a community? How are we going to be marked? Here's what we're going to be in the next 20 years. God's giving us opportunities, giant opportunities to meet real needs in our community through strategic partnerships, 
This is the phrase that God keeps bringing to my mind. Strategic partnerships, strategic partnerships. Figure out who's doing it well and partner with them. Rebel Gospel Mission is a group that's doing it well. You know them as RGM. They are helping people who are stuck in cycles of poverty and homelessness find freedom and come out. They're breaking down gates. We partner with Rebel Gospel Mission in a number of ways. We've done the two-ton turkey challenge for a number of years where we bring in two tons of turkey to help with their great Thanksgiving banquet. We've done things like the nomadic shelter where we say this center, this place that's warm and safe where you'll be loved can be a place that you can use. We've done that, but we could do more. The Rebel Gospel Mission, their director came to me and he said, Kevin, New Life is like a flagship church. The way you love, the way you serve, the way you care for people with nomadic shelter, I wish every church was doing it like you're doing it. You're doing so well. I said, that's because these people genuinely love people. But he said, we could do more. We could increase our frequency of partnerships with Rebel Gospel Mission through the nomadic shelter. They said, we want to do addiction recovery. We want to help people break some of these cycles. We want to do mentoring and training where people in your church could be mentored by people who are coming out of homelessness and could do mentoring and have true partnership. I love that. Rebel Gospel Mission or organizations like this are going to be key for us to really serve and love people. But here's the thing. I've been studying and looking at and talking with millennials. Millennials, let me tell you, you get a bad rap. You get a bad rap. You care deeply. You care deeply. You want to meet real needs in a real community. You want to see it. You want to partner with it. You want to do it. Church, I'm telling you, one of our key strategies to reaching millennials will be key partnerships like Rebel Gospel Mission. The church that does this will reach the next generation, and the church's job is to figure out how to reach the next generation. The church that doesn't will miss a whole generation of people, and that cannot be. We're going to live as good neighbors to the forgotten in our communities. How many of you went to the Global Leadership Summit? Raise your hand. It was so good. It's this leadership conference, and Bill Hybels, the founding pastor of the church that puts it on, got up one day, and he made an impassioned plea. He said, every church should be caring for people who are developmentally disabled. Every church should. That's a big statement. He said, these are people who are forgotten in our communities. And I thought to myself, what would that look like for us? Well, we've been talking to the old Adobe Developmental Services right next door to us. They're physically our next-door neighbors. And they help give job skill training to develop to developmentally disabled people. And so every day we walk by, I've got some friends who come by and we chat when they come to work and to learn and to grow. And I went to their director and I said, well, what would it look like for us to partner with you? I said, here's some of the things we're dreaming about. One of the things I dream about, we live in Sonoma County. I want to create a safe outdoor space for us to really have fun together and serve together. A a sports court for students and for college people and for our life groups to come and play volleyball and soccer I want to create a patio area so that our two and three-year-olds don't run out into handicapped spots every single Sunday. Good grief, people. Like, that's terrifying. I'm out there like, I hope they're saved, you know, because it's terrifying. Is that, no, I shouldn't say that. Cut that out of the video. But I want to create a patio, a safe place to be and to meet, to have a third spot. Here's the thing that gets me really excited, though. I talked to the director at Old Adobe Developmental Services, and she said, if you created a sports court, do you know that our clients could use that for large motor skill training. It could help them become more marketable and could get them into the workplace. And I thought, look at that. We're not just serving us or our city. We're actually serving the forgotten in our community. And that's who we're supposed to be. That's who we're supposed to be as the church. I think about the health center. 
the health center uses our parking lot to park, and that's great. And they've given us resources to help us pave that out. I love it. That's great, because otherwise it would have been a big, muddy pit this last year. But we have a good faith agreement with them that we're going to finish the parking lot. We haven't yet. So we're not being a good neighbor. We are in breach of relational contract with our neighbors. We need to finish that out. That's just part of being a good neighbor, having a good voice in the community. Man, in the next 20 years, we're going to be a church that builds safe communities all over Sonoma County. I've been thinking recently, and I don't know for sure, but it seems like Sonoma County has a carrying capacity for churches. Like we reach about four or 500 people, 600 people, maybe 800 people, and Sonoma County doesn't really do bigger than that. And yet God has called us to reach our community. So if it's not going to be this way, what if God's going to invite us to plant small communities all over Sonoma County that are just like this one here with two or 300 people. I started praying about that. What would satellite campuses look like in Sonoma County? New lives all over to bless and serve people. And wouldn't you know, as we're praying about it, I had a pastor come to me and say, hey, have you ever considered creating satellite campuses? I said, well, actually, uh, yeah, I've thought about it. He said, well, in the next, you know, season, no one likes to put dates on it, but what if, what if we gave you our building? And what if we became a New Life campus? This is how God moves in partnerships. It could be the beginning of something beautiful. I don't know. But we do know one thing. God has called us to reach Sonoma County with the love of Jesus. I want to equip our cities with practical life skills because people matter. I met a guy about eight months ago, came into our church, and he was hurting deeply hurting. His marriage had ended in divorce. He said, I just need, I need something. And he came, and he came back, and he came back, and he gave his life to Jesus, and he started following God, and he got baptized one service. And then just a handful of months ago, he came to me with a woman next to him, smile from ear to ear. And he said, this is my wife. And God had restored their relationship through God's movement here. And then he emailed me about a month later and he said, Kevin, is there any sort of practical marriage seminar or training that we can do? Because while we are restoring, we're not out of the woods yet. We just finished what, in my opinion, was an outstanding marriage series. I mean, really good, top shelf. Um... And you know what I wanted to say to him? I wanted to say to him, yes, every quarter we have marriage seminars for you, designed for you, not just people in our church, people in our cities to come and experience freedom and wholeness. What I had to say to him was, go back and listen to the series I preached. We don't have anything coming up. But I dream about a day when we have practical, I mean like the best in the world talking about marriage to our cities, talking about parenting to families because parenting matters. And where are we getting training if not through a gathering of people who knows God and loves people? I dream about having financial seminars and trainings. Our team does a good job with Financial Peace University, but we need to do more. Right now, a whole generation of people is retiring who did not have the skill set to invest in their retirement. And they're wondering, what are we going to do now? This cannot be for another generation when God clearly speaks about what to do with finances. We need to create those types of spaces to really care for people. In the next 20 years, we're going to be a church that is 100% inclusive. 
Here's what I mean by that. There's a woman who comes to serve once a week. She pays for public transit to get here. And she comes in, and all of our volunteers work upstairs. There's a second level with offices over here. All of our volunteers work upstairs. She can't get upstairs because of some physical limitations. So she's by herself down here because our facility is not 100% inclusive right now. Now, I want to brag on our guest services intern. His name is Andrew. He's awesome. Here's what Andrew... Yeah. Here's what Andrew does. Andrew doesn't sit up there where the other staff and volunteers are. Andrew comes down here every week and partners with her because no one should serve alone because we're wired for a relationship. But that should not be. We need to create an inclusive environment here at this church. Man, I'm dreaming about the world. Our world is constantly and consistently in turmoil. Have you noticed that? People ask me sometimes, hey, why didn't you pray about this thing? Why didn't you talk about that thing? Why didn't you? Here's, here's the honest answer. I will just be as honest as I can. Two things. One, I take this thing called Sabbath on Saturday, so I don't know what happens on Saturdays. So sometimes I just miss it. And that's my bad. I try to get on now and look on Sunday. So I just miss it. But two, there's so much in the world that every week we could be, and maybe you would say should be, talking about two or three major crises every week. There's so much. But here's the thing. That's not an obstacle to God's movement. That is an opportunity for God's church to rise up and be a community. We're going to live locally and impact globally through holistic church planting in the next season. We have a great partnership in India, and this partnership in India is looking more and more at the whole person, not just a person's soul. So they're planting churches, but they're also bringing in medical staff to work. And they're building wells on the church sites to bring water to communities. And they've got an orphanage that they're working with to bring children off the streets. They've got a school to educate. We want to do more holistic church planning around the world. We want to work on the refugee crisis. It is the global crisis of this decade. There are more people displaced now than any time in human history. It is an epidemic Pastor Ron was talking recently with me about, he said, what if we did a 5K run partnering with World Vision to raise awareness and money for refugees? That that's great. I'll support someone else can run. <laughs> can it be a, a 5K walk-jog run? Then I'll do it. But think about this, you guys. What if we were the church that led Petaluma and Roner Park and Katadi and Pangrove and Sonoma and caring for refugees. What if we led our cities? Didn't just walk in step with our cities, led our cities because we do things like this. What if we were the ones who are saying, we need to raise money, we need to raise a voice, we need to sound a trumpet for what God's doing around the world. This is the kind of stuff that I believe God wants to do in our church in the next season. And we can do it. We can do it. We have passionate and committed Jesus followers in this church. We have excellent leadership in this church. We have physical space in this building. We can do it. And it's time for us, every one of us who calls New Life home, it's time for us to engage with God in three key areas like God's people have from the beginning. It's time for you and I to partner with God 
to move this thing forward in the next 20 years. And I'm going to invite our guest services team. They're going to pass out a vision brochure. Please don't open it until I say, listen, I can see you. I will call you out. I will call you out. They're going to pass it out. I'm going to talk. You're going to multitask because you're that incredible. For the next two years, God is calling us as a church, every one of us who calls New Life home, to pray each day, to pray each day. There are 112,000 people in Petaluma, Katati, Pengrove, and Roner Park. 112,000 people. That is our right now a kind of our key reach area. We have people coming from Santa Rosa. We have some from Novato, Sonoma, all over. And I love you guys. But when we think about our key reach area, it's 112,000 people. Of those 112,000 people, 108,640 people do not know Jesus. Friends, that breaks the heart of God. Let that sink in. So I'm inviting us as a church every day at 112, at 112 to pray for the 112,000 people in our cities. And for the next two years, I'm going to give us weekly focuses. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your business. Pray for the world. Pray for your church leaders. Pray for city leaders. I'm going to get us praying together. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your phone right now. Go, I know, pull out your phone. If you have one, if you have one. If you don't, that's good for you, honest, quite honestly. That's fantastic. Set an alarm for 1.12. Make sure it's p.m. <laughs> Unless you work swing shifts. There's a guy in our church who works swing shift. He's been praying every day at 1.12 a.m. He wears his bracelet on the other arm. P.m. Pull out your phone and set your alarm for 1.12. I've been doing this for three months now. Every day at 112, my alarm goes off, and it reminds me to pray for these cities that I love so deeply. If God's going to move, which I believe he is, it's going to be as we engage with him in prayer. So even if you're not a praying person, this is your chance to become a praying person. I'll give us prompts. I'll teach us how, but for the next two years, what if five, six hundred of us prayed every day, just like we did 20 years ago? That's one tool I want to give you. The other one is this. Oh, and you got your bracelet, which says 112 on it. You can just remember, 112, 112, 112. This is when we pray, 112, when we engage with God. If you didn't get one, there's more in the back. They're not rubber bands. Don't shoot me with them. The other thing is this, my church app. I've asked you guys, download my church app last week. If you haven't downloaded it in your program, it teaches you how to download your church app. It's called my church app. Download it. Tomorrow, we're going to start a 28-day devotional. It's going to help us pray and engage with God. I want everyone who calls New Life home to take this devotional journey with me every day. So download the app. If you don't have a phone that that gives you the ability to do that, we do have some hard copies that you can purchase, I think, for a dollar outside. But really, I would like everybody on the app. It's just a good way to move us into the 21st century, and it lessens our carbon footprint. So feel free to not, you know, kill the earth or whatever. So did I guilt you enough? Excellent. Download the app. I'm asking us to pray each day. I'm asking us to know our go. In the next two years, I'm going to give us teaching and training and opportunity to figure out our places of strategic service influence so that we can be in the cities. I'm not simply talking about in the church, although we'll have lots of opportunity to serve in the church. I want to give you space to use your gifts in the church. 
I'm talking about, I go every Friday to my kid's school and I serve there. A strategic influence. I've been there for five years now, every Friday, just serving and loving that school. I'm going to ask every one of us to find out what our strategic area of service influence is, and then to serve and give our lives away for the sake of other people. And I'm asking every one of us to live our give. In order for God's great work to move forward, it's going to take us freeing up direct ministry dollars for this great movement. It's just going to. The reason why no one bought a church property in 75 years is the same reason why many of us rent. It's expensive to have a house in Petaluma. It's expensive to buy property in Petaluma. But in 2008, a group of us heard from God and we said, we're going to risk it. And we're going to purchase a property to reach thousands of people. And God has done what God promised God would do And thousands of people have been reached and hundreds of people have come to faith in Jesus and lives have been changed and relationships have been saved and healed and moved forward. And we created a space here at New Life. And it's not an expense. It's an investment. We've invested in people's lives through this space here. But in order for us to move forward, we need to drop the overhead of this space here so that the money that is currently going towards this investment can go towards direct ministry money. What I want you to do is grab this vision document that I passed out to you. Did we pass these out to you? Oh, let's pass these out now. That would be a good time. Yeah, that'd be a good time. And now you can look at them because here we are. Feel free to power walk your way down. This tells you our story. You see me in a suit. You only see me in a suit at weddings and funerals. This was a wedding. I showed this picture to my son, Landon. I said, do you remember what day this was? He said, yeah, that was a bad day. I said, that was a bad day. Here's why that was a bad day. Because about 20 minutes after this picture was taken, Landon said, dad, I don't feel so good. And then Landon proceeded to vomit all over the place. And me, loving weddings and wanting to dance thought, oh, it's probably nothing. He's probably fine. And then 45 minutes later, he said, dad, I don't feel so good. And he threw up again. And then for the rest of the night, he continued that journey. And he and dad went home to a hotel room. But it was a cute picture anyway. So for what it's worth, that's a cute picture. I just want you to have that little insight into my life. How many of you have ever had to go home early from a wedding or something important because your kids were throwing up? Come on. Yeah. It's an exclusive club. I'm proud to be with you. Hey, I want you to turn back to this back page where it says generosity vehicle to our vision. I'm talking about freeing up direct ministry money to reach people. So flip to this back page. Here's what I'm going to, what I believe God is actually calling us to do in these next two years. I believe God's calling us as a church to increase our general giving by $2 million for the next two years. A million dollars a year. On top of our current giving to the church, $2 million so that we can pay down our mortgage and invest that money in direct ministry. And here's what this looks like. I've got it on here. If we pay down $2 million where this big two is, that would free up just over $160,000 a year forever. Not into mortgage, 
into direct ministry, reaching our cities, caring for people, loving our worlds. Did you know that in 20 years, that translates to $3.2 million? I believe God's calling us to invest $2 million now for the sake of $3.2 million, not going to a building, going to people for the next 20 years. I was sharing this with my eight-year-old, because this is what pastor's kids, this is the conversation we have. I said, Maddie, what do you think? She's like, do you think people will do it? I said, honey, I woke up at 5.15 with that same question on my mind. I said, Mads, here's the thing. God is a generous God who gave generously to us. And one of the key markers of Jesus' followers is radical generosity for the sake of God's movement. And I think God is going to do it. In fact, back in October, God woke me up about eight times from midnight till 7 p.m., 7 a.m., and he kept bringing me back to $2 million. I believe God's going to do it. And I believe it's going to free up this church to be the church that reaches our city. Here's my number one goal for our church in this next season. 100% engagement with God. That everyone who calls New Life home would do all three of these things, would pray each day, would figure out their place of strategic service influence, would know our go, and would live our give, would give generously to the things that God is doing. That's my primary goal for our church. If we do that, we have won. My secondary goal is to free up, is to free up $3.2 million over the next 20 years for the sake of people to realize the love of God. My secondary goal is this. Right now, this morning, there's an eight-year-old boy in Runner Park. He's watching football with his dad, and church is the furthest thing on his mind. In 20 years, he's going to be a 28-year-old man, maybe newly married, maybe a few young kids. He's got a ton of questions about himself, about relationships, about parenting, about his job, about the nature of the world, about God. My dream is that in 20 years, this eight-year-old boy will find his home at New Life because we prayed, because we served, because we gave. Right now, there's a 10-year-old girl in India living on the streets My dream is that in 20 years, she'd be a 30-year-old doctor serving people because our orphanage partnership brought her in, gave her a safe place, introduced her to Jesus, paid for her junior high education, her high school education, her college education, and her doctorate. And now she's serving and loving and caring for people in India. And you might not meet her until we're together in heaven but I believe God's going to work it out to where she would come to you and say, thank you. My dream is that we're going to look back in 20 years and I'll say something at the ripe old age of 56 (laughs) with the same fantastic haircut. (laughs) But I'll say to you, do you remember 2017? 
when Ed Sheeran was topping the charts. Come on. When Modern Family was, ah, I don't know, we'll see. But doing okay. And we sat together in a room and I shared a vision with you, a dream that God has given to us. And we said yes to him and we prayed and we go and we gave and God moved. Can you believe it? You guys will be like 40 sitting here. Come on, don't leave me after college, Sonoma State. You stay. Think about these days, you guys. So would you do three things for me? One, one, would you commit to engaging with God? That is the, the main thing. Would you commit to engaging with God? Not a rhetorical question. At least not. Thank you. Two, would you commit to asking questions? Ask questions. Ask questions in your life group. Ask questions in your ministry teams. Ask questions to me. On the, let's see if I got the dates. On the 25th and 27th, so that's two weeks, it's a week from now, on a Monday and a Wednesday, I'm going to be here at New Life, around your life group time. I'd love to talk with you. I won't have an agenda. I'll just be here. Come with your life group. Ask me questions. Email me. Ask me questions. Kevin, what about this part of our vision? How are we going to do this? What's this look like? I can't tell you how much I want to talk to you. If I could, I'd meet with every one of you individually. And we'd sit down for coffee, and you'd buy because you're generous. (laughs) And we'd just talk. But I can't, honestly, I couldn't do it. My intestines couldn't handle that much coffee. So the next best thing is just to be available to meet up with you regularly. So commit to engaging with God. Commit to asking questions. And the third one is this, and this is a big one. Would you commit to making a commitment? Whatever God says, would you commit to saying yes? If God says it, I'll do it. If God says it, I'll do it. I'll let God figure out the how. That's big. That is the heart space that God loves to use. That is soil that's just ready for God to plant something great in. I'm not asking you what to do, telling you what to do. I'm asking you that if God gives you direction, would you say yes? We'll be looking at this for the next couple weeks. I'd love to have you bring it with you each week just so we can look through it and talk about it. We've got charts on here and graphs. We've got stories. I want to share this with you. We'll be talking more next week about this. But today, commit to engaging. Commit to asking questions. Commit to a commitment so that God can do what God wants to do. Would you join me? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the women and men and children who are now young adults who came together in 1998 and prayed for me and prayed for us who served in strategic places of service influence, who gave generously at great cost to themselves so that we could be here today engaging with you. Lord, would you please let the story that you've written so far Give us courage and confidence to engage with you in the story that you are writing. And Jesus, we're asking a bold prayer. 
Would you allow us to be the church that changes the spiritual climate of Sonoma County? Would you use us to be the church that changes perception about what Christians are and who Christians are? Would you help us to love people as an expression of our love for you so deeply and fully and freely that it's transformational in its nature? God, would you use us over the next 20 years to move just 1%, that in 20 years we'd be able to say that because of new life, 4% of Sonoma County is engaging with you. And then five and six and seven, because your life-changing love is that powerful. I pray for my friends. I pray for our life groups, for conversations that we will have together. God, would you keep our eyes squarely focused on you and engaging with you on this journey And would you do in us and through us immeasurably more than we could ever dream or imagine? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.